everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Influencing Safety with Bill Martin, the president and CEO of Think Tank Project, LLC. I'm Kate Wade, the editor of Incident Prevention Magazine and your host for this podcast. In this episode, Bill and I will explore the topic of learned helplessness, what it is, what causes it, and how to break out of the habit. So let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast, Bill. Thanks, Kate. Good to have you here again. Um, yes. Nice to see you, Kate. Yeah. And I mean, we're on video today, too. So that's awesome. Um, so let's kind of jump right in. One of the things, you know, when we talk about influencing safety, one of the things that needs to be part of that discussion um, is the barriers to influencing safety. Uh, and learned helplessness is one of those big barriers. So when you use the phrase learned helplessness, can you tell us exactly what you mean? Like, what is learned helplessness? And more specifically, what does it mean in the context of utility work and utility safety? All right. Well, that, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> so so I think we, uh, so so what we're going to talk about is learned helplessness and, and possibly the antidote to learned helplessness. Um, um, but before we start into that, I, I think I, I think I'd like to try to preface it a little further. Um, so, so we've been trying to figure out how to influence safety, right? We're talking about the need for trust and psychological safety. You have to have a, you have to build a, a, a level of trust between your team, and then you have to have, create a safe space so somebody can speak up because you want them to. Um, and then you need to be emotionally intelligent enough to recognize when that's not happening, so you can go back to recreate the trust, to recreate the space until it happens. Um, Unfortunately, what we're watching, uh, and it's nobody's fault, you know, I think I sent you a while back the uh, Department of New York State, uh, United States Department of Labor statistics mm -hmm. on occupational fatalities. Yes. And if you look at them over the last 10 years, um, uh, they haven't changed a lot. Uh, 2021 21 was 5,190 occupational fatalities in our country. Uh, wow. 9% higher than 2020, which was 4,700. And the numbers has been fluctuating between the high 4,000s and low 5,000s for 10 years. So to everybody's credit, everybody, we're all trying to find the answer, right? And we have, we've had Heinrich's triangle, right? Where the number of near misses leads to fatality. We kind of determined, had figured out through research that that's not exactly true, but it's a nice mm -hmm. idea. Yes. Um, the, uh, uh, the number of controls you have, right? So if you, if you, if you can, the hierarchy of controls is another another system where if we can figure out if there's a there, there's a risk, can we eliminate it? That's the first thing. If we can't, then we need to mitigate it in all the steps. And then you've got since the 70s, human organizational performance. And then if you're into the safety uh, industry, you've heard of safety one, safety two, safety differently, or yeah. Joe, Rog Joe Rogan's safety third. So, so Kate, yes. if, we, if we have all of those things... Mm -hmm. That those are all really good things. They are. Why are the occupational fatalities staying the same? It just seems like there's got to be something that we're not doing or that's not working or, you know, it's sort of we're doing all this work um, and we're really trying to promote safety and advance it. Uh, but these things are still happening. So I'm not really sure exactly what's going on. Do you have thoughts about it? Yeah, it keeps me up at night, actually. Um, yeah. There, there's, 
we're, to, you know, we grieve from these fatalities. And, and I was just reading Danny Rain's LinkedIn post, uh, which, you know, a little plug for Danny's book, um, Stories of the Old Lineman, that mm -hmm. is doing very well. Uh, but he's going to, they're using some of the stories for podcast, not for, I'm sorry, for uh, tailboard topics, uh, which, which that, you know, hopefully that's something different that, that will be helpful. Mm -hmm. But he mentions that there's been six fatalities this year already. Yeah, and it's only January. Yeah, That's so not... I mean, if you go back to, I mean, I to uh, Ohio in two days before Christmas when a 22-year-old was electrocuted, or you go to West Virginia, January 12th, a 24-year-old was killed. January 14th in Jasper, Georgia, a 32-year-old. Uh, the 18th in Southern California, Edison, a 41-year-old. And I think a couple days ago in Brunswick, Ontario, another lineman was killed. Um, I, I can I, I agree for that. And all of the things that we have done over the last number of years may work towards that if we can get it to buy in at the sharp end. Mm -hmm. But what's happening right now in all of those different states and, and in Canada is the home utility. As a matter of fact, there was it, I read one of the things and it said uh, safety is the first priority for New Brunswick, Canada's utility company. Uh -huh. And you can read that same quote almost Every you, every company, you know, safety is our first priority, and I believe them. Mm -hmm. But it but it didn't work, right? It, it well, it's it's so contrary that statement, and then the fatality that, that it's true. There, that's you know, to me that that statement is learned helplessness. It's like safety is our first priority. What well, you know, what else can we do, right? Right, right. Um, so that, that so now we're looking at barriers. What's the barrier to changing? These outcomes, you know, I, when you talk about the number like 5,190, this is just all business occupations in the country. That's 100 a week. It's mm -hmm. a lot you of know? people. Yeah, there's no, nobody's, it's not on CNN. So we're not advertising it. So, no. so what happens, we begin to realize what you watch. What, 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 it, so I, I've been to a few linemen funerals. Um, and I think I might have told you this story. I've been working with John Barge out of Yale, who's a psychologist who runs the the lab in, in one of the labs in Yale. And I showed him pictures of a lineman's funeral. You know, all the bucket trucks are lining and all the buckets in the air crossing like an archway. The funeral mm -hmm. procession goes under there and all flags are all hanging. And yeah. there's a lot of solidarity and camaraderie um, and a lot of uh, dark, dark faces. Yeah. And, and he looked at it and he said, oh, my God. So what? He said, that's learned helplessness. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, all the energy involved in that funeral, they're practicing for the funeral instead of the event. Mm -hmm. And it was what it really hit me. That's happening everywhere right now for all, all of those deaths I just told you. Yeah. We're doing, we do all the things in, in grief. And then I feel bad for the utilities because now they they try to come up with the next shiny thing. What are we going to do to stop this? Right. Mm -hmm. it, so it took took Edison 9,000 failures to make a light bulb. That's a why, lot of failures, yeah. Why do, we, why do we think after these fatalities, the next shiny thing is going to fix it? Mm. Right? Because we, we really it, want that to happen, I think. Because we really, really want that. We want it to be that simple or that easy or, you know. Well, well exactly. So, you know, no disrespect to all the things we try to do. No disrespect to any of the utilities. Uh, I mean, 5,190 is, is a big number. And six this month for the utility industry is is terrible. Yeah, um, it's not their fault. 
Okay, it's not anybody's fault. It's not the I I read about you know these farmer need to train their apprentices better. If that was the case, we we could have been doing that all along. Mm-hmm. The problem is how we influence at the worker level. So so I'm I'm calling it learned helplessness um, because and you know people aren't going to want to they won't like that term um, and it's it's not going to be easily easy to understand, but I'm going to try. Um, okay. So, so 1965, Martin Seligman was doing a study with dogs, which you can't do this anymore because it was, it was deemed cruel to animals, but it was, uh, he was ringing a bell kind of like Pavlov's dog where they could get him to salivate only he was ringing a bell and then he would give a light shock to a dog. And over time he could ring the bell and the dog would react the same for the bell as he would for the shock. Okay. So then he took the dogs and he put them in this enclosed space. And then the enclosed space was divided in half with a really low, 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 like a a wall, a little tiny wall they could easily jump over. Uh One half of it was a a metal metal floor where he could deliver the shock. So the same dogs that he classically conditioned, when he shocked them on that side, they just Mm -hmm. just laid down and took it. So, so then he took another dog that he didn't classically condition with the shock. Uh-huh. As soon as he got the shock, it jumped over that little wall to the other side. Right. So think about this. When you're affected over a long term, your, your response is different. Mm-hmm. So for 10 to 20 years, we've had the same number of deaths in our industry as we have now. Our TRIR and our DART rate are being managed better because I can follow you to the ER, make sure the doctor doesn't give you a prescription drug and put you on light duty. My right. Dart, my dart rate's better, but but the but the situation hasn't changed. It's kind of like we go do a, spend a lot of time with CPR and trading on AEDs. Mm-hmm. That's really good, but it's after you're dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't mean to laugh, but yeah, you're, right? you're not wrong. Right. Yeah, right, that's right. So I mean, so there's six hundred thousand uh, sudden cardiac arrests in our country. We should probably try to fix that. And the CPR and the AED is good. But it's after we're dead. The funeral is after we're dead. Everything we do after somebody is killed or seriously injured is after. Right. So when you continue to have the same response to whatever we try, we become learned helpless. And, and I, I can see it. You see it at the funerals. You see it in management where they, they're like, what, you know, what the heck? And then you start, that's where you start to see shame and blame. You know, what was the lineman thinking? Um, so it's, I hope I explained that well enough. I, it's what I'm, the antidote is, we have to change the way we think and have a paradigm shift. And that's hard. That's super hard because we would have done it already if it was easy, right. I think. So, yeah. So I, I I don't mean to belittle the, uh, uh, the, the efforts. The efforts have been really good. And there's a lot of very smart people. And I believe any one of those things, if we could get it. So, so here's the sad thing. The guys go to the funeral. They're affected forever. The close crews. Um and then within a week, they're back to work as normal. Mm-hmm. So tomorrow, whatever this thing is, we're initiative. The initiative is driven by management, um, and it isn't. We don't. It isn't helped to do to be delivered by the, the the worker itself. We don't engage each other in the process, but it becomes a management driven initiative. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like oh, here comes another one. You know, yeah. Uh, they call it Kool Aid, right? Another, another flavor of Kool-Aid this week. And they go back to work. Peter Drucker said it really well when somebody said, hey, that was a, it was a safety meeting on a Friday. 
said, oh, that was a really good meeting. He's great. Great. He said, so what's going to change Monday when they go to work because of our, of our really great meeting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. We, so we can, we can talk about all kinds of great things and, uh, um, and I'm not going to do it here, but there's a lot of terminology in the industry and, and, uh, you know, looking at different, you know, the, the, the root causes and all these things. But the reality is, if you don't come up with something that re resonates with the crew, an actionable thing that you can work together to engage them, nothing happens. And we're, we're seeing it. And that when the more nothing happens, the more we're like that bell that's been ringing for the dog who's been getting the shot. Yep. Okay. I, okay the bell, bell's ringing. Here we go. I'm getting ready because this is going to happen again. So that's, I don't know. Did I explain that well enough? I don't know. It's it's kind of a long explanation, but learned helplessness. I'm going to be honest with you, Kate. I, I give you credit for even discussing this on the podcast. I have heard no one, no one discuss this. No. And honestly, like, I, I think that when you brought it up, you know, I, I even had some questions about, well, what do you mean exactly? Like, what is the, what is the definition of learned helplessness? Because how I interpreted it and what you actually meant were kind of different. Um, but yeah, I've, I've absolutely been in the position where, you know, if you have the same kind of things happen to you, like in a relationship, whether it's like work or personal or whatever, um, and you get the same kind of reaction from the other person, you keep doing the same thing too. Um, and you just fall into like this rut that you can't get out of. Um, and so I think that's probably part of what is happening um, on a larger scale in this industry. And so we're talking about this learned helplessness. And so we're trying to identify what it is. But like once we've identified what it is and that we're like um, a victim of it, like what do we do? Because, I mean, the awareness is is great. OK, we we have this learned helplessness thing. but like, how do I get out of this? And like, do I have to like rework my mind? Like, do, do I have to go and talk to the other person? Like, what, what do we need to do? So that's, that, that's the meat and potatoes. Um, what's really cool about our, our human existence is everybody listen to this. Everything they have thought about doing, they have done, mm -hmm. right? You thought about buying a car, you bought a car. You thought about building a house, you built a house. You thought about buying a house. Uh, uh, go to college, go to line school, learn a trade. When you make the decision, it plants that in your subconscious. And your subconscious entire job is to is to do for you what you want it to do. Mm -hmm. So once we recognize that we can decide to change our mind about something, um, we will. Thing is, if it's not, we talked about psychological safety already. If you're in a situation or in a relationship and, hey, I, we need to buy a house and you're just told, no. You can't buy a house. No, there's no way. No, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's going to make it more difficult. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So so what it requires is a connection between everybody to decide to engage in something to see if it works. And that's I talk about the test and learn philosophy, right? We're, we are still holding on to an old philosophy uh, uh, and a lot of it's military, you know, command and control. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm the boss. And we seem to propagate that through our industry. Um, it follows leader follower mentality and it worked really good when I was alignment my my foreman had first foreman had 40 years mm -hmm. he knew everything leader follower I could no matter what I asked him he knew you look <laughs> at the years of experience on most line crews now if they have 10 or 15 years combined that's a lot mm -hmm. 
So what we need is cumulative genius for them to engage with each other. That means that's why this, we've spent all this time on psychological safety and emotional intelligence. They need to understand it's, you don't need to defend yourself. Right. You're, you guys, you're learning wherever you are. You don't need to defend your position. If somebody says, don't feel defensive, be curious and interested. Why does that person think that? Yeah. And, and that's and, a hard thing to do. I mean, let's just say right there, it's it's hard to, especially when defensiveness is how you've learned or how you've been for so long. It's very hard to kind of get away from that and go toward being curious instead. Um, so if you so, struggle with that, know that that's, you know, that's not uncommon, but it's necessary. So so our part of our old brain is our amygdala. Um, there's a, I think there's two of them by your brainstem. And it's called an amygdala hijack. Um, we've all done it. Somebody somebody pulls our trigger and we respond immediately with something that's not usually colorful and not too attractive, <laughs> um, but with usually a wrinkled face. Um, <laughs> uh, there, there was a TED talk that said, if you count backwards, five, four, three, two, one, in your head, you can unhack your amygdala and actually have a response. And, and I've done it. Um, um, I've, I've, I'm, I still suck at it, but I'm, pra- I'm, so I'm practicing. I had a person uh, in authority tell me that I was either in or I was out, basically, and it put me in defense mode. Mm-hmm. But my response was, I waited. So even that waiting, if I just do this right now, Kate, I go, and I just wait. Yep. Silence is power, right? Mm-hmm. That's silence. You wait five seconds, three seconds. Then I said, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm really glad you're comfortable enough to tell me that that way. Uh, let's see what, if you want to run that up the chain and bring it back to me again, and then, then I'll decide if I'm in or I'm out. How does that sound? Mm-hmm. Completely on, on arms, the defense, if I go into defense and then I come back with my amygdala, my attack, yep. I, I'm just creating a space between us where we're going to listen to respond from here on out. And it's going to be tit for tat the whole time. Well, right? it's like, we're having to fight against like our, our instincts, like what our body wants to do, which is not easy. Exactly. So, so yeah, so you're right. It's, it sounds easy. We Everything we've decided to do, we've done. So now we have to decide what it is we need to do, right? What's mm-hmm. the antidote to this learned helplessness? You know, and what's really exciting to me is it's everywhere around us, right? We happen to be in this cave. I talk about this sometimes. We're in a cave with a square rock. We're cavemen now, Kate, you and I. Oh, okay. Cavemen, <laughs> cavewomen. It, got it. I've got yep. a square square rock, and we're chiseling away with our chisel, beating the crap out of this rock to make a make a circle so it will mm-hmm. roll. In the cave next door, there happens to be four wheels. What? On, on a Corvette. What? Right? So <laughs> so think about this. So if you're a football team and you're a coach for the football team, so one football player who's really good at running with the ball isn't going to win your game. <laughs> Right. Correct. Yeah. Right. You need a whole bunch of different defensive defensive ends. You need, you need all these people and they need to work in chorus together to get the ball to the other end. And somebody needs to lead the plan, which is the coach. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We So why is it we see it clearly there? And when your kids go to take football, you know, go to football practice, they don't just like go once a week. And the coach just doesn't show up like once a month. Mm-hmm. Right. The coach is always there. Right. We need to steer from uh, command and control to coaching a team, because when that crew shows up on the job and it's 25 below and everybody's vibrating at a different frequency, right? I, I'm cold. I got to get this yeah. over with. Look at it. It's, 
if, if, if I'm thinking Ohio, look, it's two days before Christmas. I wonder, you know, I got to get that present because I'm really late. Another person is, you know, why, why did they give this this last job today? This mm. is ridiculous. We need to, we need for a coach and you're, that's your football team. And you look and everybody's on a different, different wavelength. You need to bring them all together. Right. But if you don't recognize they're on a different wavelength, it ain't happening. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. So 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 one of the antidotes is start thinking of it as a team and a coach because we already know how to do that. It's not something we have to relearn. It, but we don't think of it in terms of work. And we don't even really like some of the people we work with. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, to be honest. So we don't have to like them. We just need to connect with them. And I'm and we need to be, you know, hey, frankly, dude, you know, you're you're kind of annoying me today, but listen, do not disconnect from me. Right. Mm-hmm. Just because you're in the bucket and I'm on the ground doesn't mean you can ignore me and or I can ignore you. This is one job. Right. Right. When you cut that top of that piece of that pole off, look where, where you throw it before it comes down or put it on the hand line better because that's the safety practice. Right. So, right. which is, you know, I say that realistically, it's coming down fast. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 yes. So, one antidote is, is start looking at us not as a crew of people. But as this is a project and we need to be connected, if we're about to engage in something, let's, I mean, we, we, they've even used words. They have the job, job brief huddle. Let's do the huddle. I hear some of the industry using the words and the word's good. That starts, starts it. Mm -hmm. But if you just say huddle, that doesn't really mean anything. You really need to connect. And, and and that requires eye contact and acknowledgement. Um, I've mentioned Atul Gawande from the Checklist Manifesto. In the operating room, it was everybody before they operate, you know, um, uh, what's your role today? What, what are some concerns you have? So that's practicing speaking up. Yes. And, and what he found in his study was 80% of those that spoke up, well, 80%, eight, there was 80% more likely they would speak up during surgery if they did that beforehand. Okay. Right. If I'm going in and, it, and then the leader says, hey, uh, it looks like the fuse is open, let's go. That's a trigger word. We should remember. Yeah, looks look, like. Yeah, looks like I think maybe should be, might be probably. Mm-hmm. All mean we don't know. And it's the same thing with the silent thing. Wait a few seconds and then ask the question and laugh. Say, looks like. Can you confirm that for me? <laughs> you know, yeah, I know it's yeah. I know it's 25 below and we're supposed to test it in ground. Yes. Uh, but we're going to freeze our ass. So is it open? <laughs> you know, can you confirm? So, so I mean, there's. We have processes and systems. I'm not advocating shortcutting. I'm just talking about reality. Right. Reality is in some conditions, if you're going to do that, then take every precaution, right? The guy that's going to operate on your knee is a brilliant surgeon. He still draws a circle on it with a magic marker and an arrow to it <laughs> because he's likely to cut the wrong leg off. Right. And, he, and that happened, said, you've said that happens a lot, actually, or has uh, happened a lot in the past. Uh, more than it, more. Yeah, Perhaps not than, a lot, but more than it should have. Yeah, once yeah. once is more than it should have. Like exactly. So, so I've talked about two things. I'm talking about coaching and connecting, right? So, uh, the level of connect connecting is a weird thing. Uh, you know, they could put this is from Tan Lee's recent book, uh, the Neurogeneration. They in a classroom they put uh, e- e- electroencephalogram headsets, EEG headsets on for a year on these kids, and they they. Watch their EEGs, your wavelengths. You know we're electrical, right? Yes. Right, right. right. I mean, um, I think each volt has a 0.07 volt potential. You have trillions of 
cells. So you've got quite a potential. Right? <laughs> I have a lot of potential. Thank yes, you. Right. So, so, but when they put EEGs on, if, you know, if they said if, if they weren't engaged, everybody's EEG looked different because everybody's some, their brain waves are, are exhibiting. I mean, even wrinkling your, uh, a smile and blinking or raising your eyebrows changes your EEG because okay. to do that, cause your brain has to do that in order for it to happen. Mm-hmm. So, when they started engaging in each other, all their EEGs started to come the same. And if same thing with the teacher and the students, if they liked the teacher, they didn't, it didn't work. It didn't come the same. <laughs> but so, and they even found that you know, these are teenagers and they don't like eye contact, but, but even a few seconds of eye contact would cause their EEGs to start to become more similar. Interesting. So, so we, the science is there. We know that we can, when we connect, we operate at a higher level because when you and I, either alone, we have our own idea, but when I, my idea goes into your head, I did the chicken thing with you, didn't I? Right. I don't know. What's so the chicken I, thing? Well, the, if I say finger licking, you say. Oh, I say good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. KFC. Yeah. Right. Right. So I, I, I can say two words and then you say good and you got a picture of your chicken in your head, right? <laughs> Just because I can get in your head with two words, finger licking. Right. Yeah. Right? Well, the same thing happens at work, right? So. When, when the apprentice who I'm telling you, just keep your mouth shut and do whatever I tell you, when he actually can speak and have an idea, doesn't even have to be a good one. Right. That, that goes in, that goes into our subconscious with the other 11 million bits of information we process every second and might connect with something to give you another idea, right? Yes, yes. But if you dismiss it, it doesn't come. If he doesn't say finger licking, I don't say good. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, that makes total sense to me. Um, And I think the connection thing is so important. I even think like to use this podcast as an example, I mean, we're doing this one like off the cuff, like no real script or anything um, because we've been talking about this topic for so long and have kind of like synced up um, that we can have a a full conversation about it without having to have it be too, um, you know, cut and dried, drawn out. and I think that's really cool. And I think it's a good example of like what can happen when we're talking, when we're paying attention and the ideas that come out of that. So, so yeah, so you're, what you're describing is neurosynchrony, right? So mm-hmm. what, what they say with storytelling, especially when you listen to a story, your brain gets involved in a story and you actually start to get ahead of the story because you know what's going to happen. And yep. that's, we see, we love that in movies with the foreshadowing, the foreboding and the scary music, right? So, so that's, I appreciate you just said that because that's, you know, we're not. So, so there's a phrase of pros for a movie. Um, wait for it. Wait, wait for, for it. it. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So, so if you are open and you're connected, the information comes. If you force the information, it might come and it might disperse, but it won't stay. Right. But it comes when it comes. It comes from a different part of your brain. It's the feeling part of your brain that doesn't have any verbiage. Like if. If, if I ask a group of people, you know, hey, have you ever been injured? And they say, well, well, yeah, yeah, I broke my leg 20 years ago. Oh, yeah, what, what was what was that like? Well, you know, I was I was riding my bicycle. I fell off, and I remember uh, it took a big chunk of out of my knee. Also, I had a bunch of stitches. And I say, so did you know I was going to ask you that question? And they say, no. They said, so you didn't study for that response, right? You didn't open the book and say, well, I need to study. He's going to ask me about how I broke my leg 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. You remember it because it affected a different part of your brain. So when we learn how to connect, and, and this is what I, I'm very excited about this next generation, the, the generation who every generation's IQ is higher than the one before it. Right. They're, 
they're they're immersed in this information age that, that I personally have trouble with. Um, but when they learn that it's the connection to each other uh -huh. that gets them to the higher level, they're going to do stuff we haven't even imagined, right? They're, okay. they're, I, I mean, they've, they've got artificial intelligence and all this thing happening already. I, it was a funny, uh, somebody said, artificial intelligence is going to be part of our life. And they're like, yeah, no, not mine. And uh, <laughs> and they said, hey, raise your hand if you're not carrying an iPhone or a cell phone. Nobody raises hand. And I said, got news for you. It's already part of your life. <laughs> yep. And it's just, it's just going to keep on coming. So, so but this, this, what I'm talking about doesn't have to do with artificial intelligence, doesn't have to do with the next shiny initiative. Has to do with an initiative that resonates with the with the crew. So the first thing we talked about was, you know, just just that getting a chance where you get in a group and so what's your role today? What kind of concerns do you have? Get it get used to engaging with each other. That creates engagement. Lack of engagement. If you plant corn, you get corn. I like to say that. And if you plant nothing, you get nothing. Exactly. Right. So so let's start planting some corn. That's my first thing. The second that uh, I've talked to you at length about. Um, is mental simulations. I, I love to do real simulations. I think once a year you should do it. When you're doing CPR or pull-top rescue and you've got a dummy hanging, that's close to a simulation. Mm -hmm. Only it really becomes a simulation when you that guy becomes your partner and right. the scenario and you have a scenario tied to it and a watch. And you've got a and you're and you've and you actually have to call nine, somebody has to call 911, somebody has to do the rescue. Then you're actually desensitizing yourself so you don't have a stress reaction to the event. Just climbing a pole, I've done it thousands of times, you know, not mm -hmm. thousands, but I've done it, it was live in 20 years, I did at least 20 times. <laughs> so you climb a pole and you cut the, you lower the dummy down, that gets to be a check the box. Right. And, and that check the box is dangerous. Well, that's kind of where we are. We we, yeah. we want to check all the boxes because, well, you know, we're doing the right training. It, it's not about the training. I, these linemen that are dying know the electricity will kill them. Right. It's something we're missing. And to me, it's a it's a cumulative, it's it's the crew's job to do that. So if 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 we are going to do something dangerous, um, we should probably prepare for it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're gonna go on a vacation, you don't just wake up in the morning and say, okay, uh, yep, we're going away for a week, let's go. Right? You spend you kind of get spend some time. You get make sure your car's got oil, make sure your air in your tires, make sure you pack what you want, and you still forget stuff, right? Yep. That's how that's how it is. And you plan contingencies in case you forget stuff because you know you're going uh, to. Like I have said, I, um, along with being a lineman, I fly in a helicopter 23 years. So I've seen people's decisions. And mm -hmm. I can see all the things up front before the decision that caused it. They didn't see it. But people did see it. Like when the guy jumps off the cliff and uh, and hits the water seated and blows the 12th vertebrae out of his back. Everybody yeah. knew he was afraid. But nobody stopped to think that maybe we should have him practice at a lower point if he's afraid. Right. Mm -hmm. That would be preparing for the job. Um, if we're going to do something like uh, uh, I, I, I spend time on glaciers sometimes. So I'm training crevasse rescue. If I'm training crevasse rescue, that means I'm tied to a rope with people because we do a rope team. When somebody falls through, I'm actually prepared to rescue them. Right. If I'm not, they fall 100 feet to their death. Or I get totally with them. If I'm skiing the backcountry in avalanche terrain and I know what it looks like because I've taken two, couple, two or three avalanche courses and I have all the equipment, the transceiver, the shovel, the probe, and then we know when we're in avalanche terrain, one person crosses that terrain at the same at one time because if we all get buried, there's nobody left to dig us out, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, but if I'm just there to ski powder, 
hey, I'm just skiing powder. I don't mm-hmm. see the risk. I don't, and I don't, I don't have any plan. So if I'm a lineman and uh, I know that some of these people died from electrocution, one guy was killed because of a tree, hit him for tree clearing. Um, we practice for those, those types of, it's uncomfortable. We don't like to think about that bad thing that's going to happen. Right. But, but if we actually made ourselves do it, we say, all right, let's see, let's say Joe's about to climb that pole and he makes contact. And we don't know why. Go. And now you've got to figure out where's the AED, who's going to do the climb, who's calling 911, how long before they get there, what are we going to do with first aid before they get there? Uh, is it safe for me to climb and go get that guy? Mm-hmm. Once you create that shared mental model, you you plant corn. Yes. And once it's there, you start to see those things that create the situation, right? You start to realize that I need to check my tires. I'm driving to Florida for vacation, right? Instead of just driving to Florida and getting a blown out tire, right? Right. Um, it, it, it's going to be a hundred degrees today. All right. Sam just, just, just went down. He's unconscious, soaking wet. Go. You also learn some medicine. You learn who knows medicine. We, I have done this with crews and found out even in the simulations, some people freeze. Yes. Right. It's a, it's an old, old brain mechanism. You're hijacked. We need to know that, uh, we can, we can, de- we can detune that stress level if we crack, do more of them. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but that guy, hey, go out to the road, make sure the ambulance knows where our access point is. I'm going to give him an easy job. You know, I, I may not put him on CPR, right? Yeah. You, know, you understand what I mean? <laughs> but, yeah. But unless you prepare for the event, it's your first dry run. So of all of these things that happened, these six deaths, probably seven since great since December, do you think any of them thought they would die? Maybe in passing, just briefly, but probably not in the way that it happened. Do you think um, if I asked any of the crew, is that going to happen to your crew? Well, they would say, God, I hope not. Right. So if you don't think it's going to happen, you don't prepare for it. Right. Yet- what, you know, an interesting thing, too, is I was you're talking about the filling up your um, tires with air and, and putting oil in your car and stuff. And I'm thinking that, you know, in real life, like not everybody knows all of the things to do before they like, they might not know that you got to look at your oil or, or whatever. Um, but the difference on these crews is that there's, there's that cumulative genius that you talk about. It's like, you know, all of these guys know a lot of stuff about what's going on. It's not like they're just completely new at it. So together, all of, they should all be able to come up with a really good plan for what's going to happen. So that's awesome. So mm-hmm. So if I took, if I put an EEG headset on all of them, what I would want to see before they go to battle is all of their EEGs start to line up, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. That, so that, I, and, and to your point there, when I do these simulations, the crews, if, so, I, you know, I'm happy to help anybody learn how to do this. I've done a lot of simulations in, in my past life in medicine, mm-hmm. you know, worked, worked for a guy who owned oh, no, a, and I still do. I just did a podcast for a sim lab, sim cafe. Um, simulator group but that sure in order to know how to there's kind of a method to do it so that you aren't running you aren't controlling it all you can do is ask questions you just ask questions to move forward it, the crew is running the simulation mm-hmm. you're just giving them the scenario and saying go and at first it's deer in the headlights but by the second and third time if you do it five minutes at a time they get a lot better a lot faster and they recognize it and yeah. who doesn't who doesn't like to feel good about getting better at anything right because yeah. for and it's for the exact reason this is kind of a long exact reason you just said that there's so much cumulative genius 
they start coming up, if they're engaged with you, they start coming up with new ideas because it triggers, oh, well, well we could do this. Oh, we could do that. Oh, I can jump in that bucket and run it down because the ground because uh, the ground controls are busted or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a there was a case I got in doing these. A guy told me guy got a bad burn and uh, he hollered down to the, the apprentice. He says, "Get on those ground controls. Get up down here. We gotta get them to the ground." And his adrenaline's going one hundred percent. He gets up and he breaks the knob right off the ground control. Oh wow! So now the buck is stuck in the air. You know what I mean? With a guy burned in it. Oh if my god! Done, if they had done some simulations. That would not have been the stress response, right? So, so I, you know, I, I, I feel like a barrier to doing the simulations is learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. That's just another thing that's not going to work. Right. I got news for you. If we do something that engages the workforce that they can buy into, that's portable, that they take with them no matter who they work for or where they go, that might make it, that might help make a difference. I can't guarantee. If we don't try it, I can guarantee it, it won't do anything. If we don't try any of the things we've done over the last 10 years with with some consistency, we will get the same result we're getting right now. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's, let, why is it we can predict how many serious injuries and fatalities we will have in our industry in 2023 right now? Because it's been the same for years. So if we can predict it, that means we need to change something. Yeah, 100%. So this is just if I could go to everywhere where there has been a fatality right now and 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 teach these guys how to do simulations and have them do it at least twice a month based on whatever job they're on. You know, if you're in a right-of-way, it's a right-of-way scenario. If you're if it's hot, it's a heat scenario. If you're cold, it's a cold scenario. You, you can make it whatever you want, right? And it doesn't have to be complicated. What it has to do is create the engagement so we can allow that genius that you talk about to service. Yeah. Because because we're we're really good for each other. So I don't know. I, 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 I hope I don't turn people off with this learned helplessness thing. It sounds negative. It's, it's just a fact of our, of, of classical conditioning. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, we can be conditioned. We, our responses are often conditioned responses and, and being defensive is a conditioned response. So it's hard. It's like you said, it won't be easy, but if you, if, if you just wait, wait for it, wait for it, you can over you can override your amygdala, right? You can, yeah. Well, it's yeah. like um, you know, the post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, that response is like um when people have PTSD and they they hear something loud or whatever, that's like almost like their amygdala being hijacked because they go down to base level responses. But when you can um have the time and be able to breathe and kind of know what your body is doing, and I really think that's what this is all about. It's like knowledge, like like knowledge of what are the barriers that we have in our own human body and our brain? Um, what are the barriers there that we need to know about so that we can overcome them to be safer on the job site? That's absolutely. We, we want to release. We don't want to make barriers and hold that information in people's heads. So they're only talking about it to themselves. We want it to come out right. so we can hear each other's ideas and thoughts. And no matter how we silly we think it is, it doesn't um, matter. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I, I want to thank you. I appreciate that you were brave enough to actually reach this. If it was easy to talk about other, other, I mean, people want to Google Martin Seligman. Uh, he's mm-hmm. the father of American psychology. He wrote the book um, "Learned Optimism." I think he wanted to call the title "Learned Helplessness," but he didn't think it would sell. So, <laughs> well, but, he might not be wrong. <laughs> but there's there's a lot of stuff online about learned helplessness. And you may find if you look into your own psyche, some of the people that are listening, there are things you may be 
you, you may be self-limiting because you are learned helpless about something, you know, some, some belief someone else put in your brain that isn't real. Right. So, yeah. So, well, I want to thank you so much for your time, Bill. Is there anything else that you want to touch on before we close out this session of the podcast? You know, all I can say is that the, uh, if the simulations are run in a way that the, the worker does them, they own them. And and that creates the engagement. And if anybody has any has any questions or, or wants somebody to come in and model what it looks like for them, I'm happy to do that. Uh, I, once I, I'm going to try to do some train the trainers around the country. Once people get it, it's really pretty simple. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the answer is we need something simple that resonates with the workforce. And then we can see what kind of effect it has. I, I would love to say, see everyone, this kind of become a thing for 2023. And then at the end, look at the statistics and see an improvement. I mean, it would be, would be remarkable. And we also, once we start something, we don't know the thing that will happen as a result of that yet. Right. Right. It's that's unknown. Once you, once you move into new territory, you don't know what else will occur uh, as a result. And, and that's really um, what they make with it is is yet to be seen. So I just, thanks, Kate. This is, uh, this is close to my heart. And I, and I, uh, I, my, my heart is out to all those families and the crews that are dealing with these, th- these, these deaths that just happened. It, it's, it's nobody, it's too late for them, but we can turn this around now, right? I mean, everybody would be appreciative if we could have something actually to do. And I, I think you, we did that podcast on actionable safety. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. This is an actionable thing we could do with our crews. Uh, and and start becoming a coach and start simulating. That's well, all. Well, thank you again, Bill, for your time today. And I also want to thank our listeners for spending their valuable time with us. Join Bill and I again soon for our next episode of Influencing Safety. And in the meantime, stay safe and be well. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Utility Business Media and its employees. It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes with your company management prior to implementation.